wonderful people. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is a show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. My name is William Mawala. I'm the pastor of the Paravista Angola Seventh-day Adventist Churches here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. And it's really wonderful to be able to share with you today. This week, we're taking as our theme, brand new theme for this week, the collision of church and state, biblical principles for navigating a world in crisis. And today we are asking the question, are there any principles for church-state relationships? And so today, as always, my co-host in the studio with me today is Pastor Joseph Matichich. Uh, for those who are not regular listeners to Faith FM Drive Time, Pastor Joseph is the Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Thank you, William. It's great to be able to be here. Well, uh, yep, we've just come back from a weekend. Did you do anything exciting on the weekend? Anything um Noteworthy, <laughs> anything worthy? Yeah, yeah, look, it was a it was a nice weekend. I um, I preached at um, Morfitt Vale Seventh Day Adventist Church. Oh, lovely! They had a a um, the theme of um, creation, uh, which is a theme that that was um, across a number of. Adventist churches around the world, actually, will okay. you? Yeah, um, so a number of churches would have would have featured that, and um, they they did, and um, it was a nice nice program down there, and a nice opportunity to uh, to be able to be uh, there in Morfitt Vale. Oh, absolutely yeah. blessing! I've been to our school down there, Morfitt uh, Prescott yes. Southern Prescott College. College Southern. Yeah, yeah, I had Lovely an opportunity school. to do a chapel uh, about a month or so ago. So yeah. No, yeah, it's a not nice school. Yeah, nice and they've school. got lovely staff and chaplains there, so they're doing a wonderful job down there. Lovely. Well, hey, listen, we're going to just uh, switch gears now. Um, we're going to go to our World Watch segment. And uh, for those new to our show, this is the uh, little segment where we share some current news item on the world stage. And today I've got an article that's really in line, Joseph, with uh, our theme for this week. And the article is entitled... Um, I got it from Religious News Service Online and it was back in September 24 and the article is by uh, uh, Frederick Ninswili and the title of the article is this, Most Kenyan Churches Ban Politicians from Pulpits Except for Methodists. Mm. And so, Joseph, the article is basically saying that, hey, there's a bunch of politicians in Africa, in Kenya in particular here, um, going into church services and basically using... Um, the platform of a religious service uh, to propagate their political, you know, agenda. So let me read a couple of uh, quotes here, and then, yeah, I'd love to hear a couple of comments from you, Joseph. What you think about this article? But here we go. It says some churches in Kenya they've barred politicians from addressing their congregations, uh, saying campaigning during services disrespects the sanctity of worship. The Methodists, however, are keeping the church doors open for all. A particular Joseph. Tombura, presiding bishop of the Methodist Church in Kenya. He has gone on record, he said, the church is not dissenting from the effort, but he's taking a different approach. The bishop said, shutting the doors to politicians would mean discriminating against some of its members. And he's quoted as saying, the church is for all people. And he says, human beings are political, so there is nothing wrong with inviting the politicians in church. According to the bishop, congregations need to hear the views of politicians on issues of national interest, such as the sharing of resources. And in the past, in Tombura said the church has invited other experts 
to speak to congregations on important matters, and politicians are no different. Um, so just skipping down the line here, it says Kenya is about 85% Christian. About 33% of that group are from historic Protestant denominations, and about 21% are Catholic. And the rest belong to evangelical, Pentecostal, and African denominations. And Muslims make up 11% of the population. And But to, really to the heart of the uh, article, there's a couple of key quotes that I just want to bring out in our World Watch segment time. Um, it says here, in issuing the bans on politicking in church, denominations have said that they feared that church services would become campaign rallies and the candidates would use language bordering on hate speech in an attempt to win votes or sway the views of congregants. In the past, some politicians have hijacked church services in order to sell their agendas or to criticize their opponents. Some have even appeared in churches with huge sums of money as offerings or as funds for church projects. So let me quote this to you, and I want to hear what you what, what your thoughts are on this, um, Pastor Joseph. It says, On September 17, the Evangelical Alliance of Kenya, otherwise known as EAK, they announced a similar ban citing many instances of church leaders neglecting their, quote, duty to ensure that the freedoms of all worshippers are protected without infringement by visiting politicians. And here's another quote. Politicians should not be allowed to exploit and abuse their privilege as leaders by violating the place of worship through politicking in church. What, what do you think about, Joseph? That's some pretty strong words. This idea of violating the, uh, the 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 worship experience by having these politicians coming in and using that to I guess to propagate their political views and agendas. Ch- ch- um, coming to church, uh, really, the, the the pinnacle of it is, and the main pro- the primary purpose of it is worshiping God. Yeah, absolutely. The the, the focus needs to be a spiritual focus. Now that doesn't mean that one can never talk about. Life matters, uh, and in fact, we, we we want to apply it to life. But the the primary purpose, the primary focus, the primary messages really need to be from the Bible. Need yeah. to be bl- biblical messages. Mm. When people come together, they 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 gather for fellowship. They gather for encouragement. Yeah. Uh, gather. It's a gathering for prayer. Praising God, hearing hearing the Word of God spoken, hearing the Word of God read, um, uh, whether it be through you know, the actual preaching or uh, scripture readings, praising through through music. That's that's really what uh, the purpose of a church yep. gathering is. It's, it, it's a time of encouragement. Now, it is to be a, a, a place where all people together. That's true. Uh, politicians and Anybody else is certainly welcome to come come and worship. Um, I would I would think that yeah, if if it was uh, occurring where individuals such as certain uh, politicians were were using it as a platform to promote their views, I, I don't mm. see that that is the the purpose of church yep. church services yep. and, and and church gatherings mm. I, yeah I, I i you know as you were sharing that william I'm, i was thinking of um um the statement that jesus made when uh, when he he was here on earth you may recall and he he came into the temple on occasion and and, and there was all those uh, people who'd set up uh, markets and you know uh, oh, trading yeah. whatever mm-hmm. else, and he came in and he was fairly fairly direct, and he he made this statement. He said, um, "My house is what my house is a house of, of prayer, prayer yep. for all people." 
Um, that that kind of to me uh, highlights what what it really should be about. Um, mm. it, it should be a focus for um, a time for uh, spiritual encouragement. As I said, sharing uh, sharing from the Bible, biblical teaching, uh, time of encouragement. It, it's a time for praising God, mm. singing to Him, and um, there are other opportunities that these politicians can have to to share their views. Yeah. Other platforms where where they can promote those ideas. Mm. And just lastly, just real quick on this article, right at the the um, right at the tail end of the article, they quote a a Muslim uh, clerical leader in Kenya. His name is um, Sheikh Hassan Oli Nayado. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But he is the national chairman of the Supreme Council of Kenya Muslims. And he's quoted as saying, hey, I support the Christian leaders. Such a ban is long overdue. And and he has this to say. So this is not a Christian. He's uh, from a different faith, uh, the Muslim faith. He says, he quotes, the article quotes him as saying, when you go to a place of worship, you know what you are supposed to do. They are taking advantage of people who are gathered for worship. It should not happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, it's not something we see, I mean, in our Adventist uh, uh, practice, not or, often do we get... Or in Australia, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it, it, yeah, and it, it, this is actually... It is, it, it's fascinating you brought this up, William, because this is connected to what we're going to talk about a little Absolutely. bit later on. I mean, generally in Australia, we, we have made, made, maintained quite a distinction between... Yep. Uh, uh, church and state um, between um, politics and um, you know and, and churches and religion. Um, I think you may recall there was a little bit of a furor um, when uh, the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison um, was um, seeking to to was it at, uh, yeah. at, at Hillsong to to, yeah. to get the uh, the lead it was a big pa- thing when the lead pastor of Hillsong to be able to join him on on some meetings um, significant meetings in in the United States and. That was seen as well. Is that really kind of fair, kind of thing? And so, yeah, yeah um, not not yeah. It doesn't tend to happen much, but um, interesting um, interesting thoughts there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's just a little news from our World Watch segment um, from our uh, from all the way from Kenya in Africa. There, hey, look, we're going to go to some music, but just before we do, we have a brand new book offer that we would love our. Our listeners on Faith FM Drive Time um, to have a chance to receive. Um, our book offer for this week is a book entitled Hope for Troubled Times, How to Thrive in a Shattered World. And it is authored by evangelist and pastor Mark Finley. Um, so when you look at the book, um, it really talks about some of the fear, worry and stress that people are facing, uh, Joseph, in light of the pandemic that's happening. And I'm just looking at the contents of uh, the chapters of the book, Pandemics, Pestilences, Prophecy, Overcoming Fear and Worry and Anxiety, uh, Staying Healthy in a Sick World, um, How to Survive When the Economy Collapses. So this book is really... A really relevant book in light of the COVID pandemic that has swept across the world. And what I love about the book, Joseph, is he's really assuring, you know, that promise in Hebrews where Jesus says that he'll never leave us uh, nor forsake us. And so that is the book that we're going to offer our listeners today and for the rest of our week. So if you would like to grab a copy, um, all you need to do is simply text in SA22. That's capital S, capital A, 22, no space there. So it's SA22, 2 Zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. So SA two two and text that to zero four double eight double eight zero 
811. We're going to go to some music now. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives in You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with myself, Pastor William Mawala, and my co-host is Pastor Joseph Matichich. Pastor Joseph is the secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist churches here in South Australia. If you've just tuned in here on Drive Time Big Q&A, we're taking as our theme for the rest of this week, the collision of church and state biblical principles for navigating a world in crisis. And today we're looking at the subject, are there any principles for church-state relationships? But before we just jump in and pass the time to Pastor Joseph, um, I was just reminded, by the way, this coming weekend, this Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, um, we are having a special program, a regional, on the 30th of October, uh, 2021. <laughs> and... Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, we're going to have a special program and we're going to be looking at this very theme, the collision of uh, church and state. And so if you're listening and you want to come and you're intrigued by the messages that you're going to be hearing on our uh, program this this week and you want to hear more about it, why don't you come along? The doors are all open. Everybody's invited. And so it's this Saturday morning starting at 10 o'clock, and uh, we're going to be doing that in Seaton, which is actually my backyard, Joseph, mm, yeah. <laughs> just down the road. And it's at the um, 
Uh, it's at the uh, Seaton. Uh, here it is, the the Christian Family Center. Sorry, uh, one eighty five Frederick Road, Seaton. The Christian Family Center, one eighty five Frederick Road, Seaton. And so, if you're listening, you want to come along, please join us this Saturday. We're going to be talking on this theme. Uh, starting the programs begins uh, starting ten o'clock a.m. And so, our topic this week: collision of church and state. Biblical principles uh, for navigating a world in crisis. And today, particularly just for today's program, we're looking at the question, are there principles, Joseph, for church-state relationships? So, Joseph, I want to pass the time to you. Talk to us. Talk to our listeners uh, today. Um, are there any principles for church-state relationships? And if so, um, what are they and what could they be? Thank you, William. This is a, a very important topic, and it's it's come to the fore now, particularly with what's been happening um, in our country with yep. the whole pandemic, William. You know, Absolutely. It's now been one and a half years um, since the, the coronavirus first spread and arrived in Australia, and since we had our first lockdowns. Um, where you know businesses, uh, yeah. churches uh, closed down, and um, uh, we, we've had then um, subsequently other various restrictions. Now, now we are facing an interesting situation mm-hmm. with uh, the mandating of vaccines. Yeah, oh, that's uh, a hot for, potato, isn't it? It is, and a real push. Um, being made for yep. people to, to, to get vaccinated. And um, as I said, it's mandated for certain uh, workplaces, right. uh, for certain employees that um, uh, have to have to receive it in order to be able to, to continue with their employment. And um, that is causing a reaction for, um, amongst people. Um, yeah. not, not just that, but, but, but the number of these regulations, number of these restrictions um in general not everybody has been happy with the government rules mm-hmm. a number of people feel that these regulations are impinging on our freedoms on freedom of uh conscience right and and therefore even uh, perhaps freedom of of belief and people have some or well, certainly some people have responded and are responding in different ways. Yeah. For example, when we uh, first closed churches, ha- had to close churches, um, 18 months ago it was now, um, there were some people who who felt that this was the government restricting uh, the opportunity for worship. Yeah. Then when there was um, the requirement to, for the wearing of masks, yeah. for instance, uh, certain people objected to that, and uh, particularly in in um, as far as uh, having to wear them at churches, and they thought, well, if if churches and you know, church organisations or church leaders are are enforcing that at at church, they thought, well. No, well, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to attend church because that's the church leaders um, bowing to the uh, to, to the governing authorities, yep. and uh, worship should be a, a free thing, and we shouldn't have those kinds of restrictions. And so, you would you would well know too, William. Yes. We, we, you know, we know 
people personally who have have stopped attending. Um, that's in in place certainly here in South Australia where you know, churches are, are still open and, and have been for for a lot of the time in other places around Australia. That that hasn't really been the case, William, because of extended periods of lockdown. There hasn't been the opportunity for for um, church church buildings to be open for worship. Now, uh, the other uh, way we've seen people responding is with the um, mandating of the vaccine. Some people have seen this as um, the fact that it's being essentially required, uh, mandated and enforced. Some people are seeing that as a that 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 is like a spiritual issue for them. Mm. It it, it sort of harkens and reminds them of... um, how in Revelation chapter 13 it talks about things being enforced and people aren't able to do certain things. Um, and so some have even drawn connections, connections with that. So how do we as Christians respond to this? What should our attitude be? So we, we come to the question, are there, that, that, that's been posed, and this is our, our question for today, are there any principles for church and state relationships? Well, I want to share three All right. general ones, and then I want us to look at a case study that, that, that I hope will help us understand and, and maybe gain some insights in how to navigate when it seems like church and state are intersecting, are, you know, at, mm. at log- loggerheads, mm. when it seems like, yeah, both are, are vying. How, how do we then navigate through that? That's the case study. All right. But first, um, general principles for church-state relationships. Principle number one is this one. Church and state are, are both important but are to be separate and distinct. Okay. Now, we get that, William, from uh, the statements of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. This is the account when um, certain religious leaders of his day, that was the Pharisees, wanted to trap Jesus. They came up to him, it says, and um, they, they, they said, uh, they came to him with this question to Jesus. Tell us then, what is your opinion? This is Matthew 22, verse 17. Okay. Is, it, is it right to pay the, te- the tax to Caesar or not? We read on, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a coin there, a denarius, it says, and notice the words here. And Jesus asked them then, whose image is this? And whose inscription? That is, you know, he holds up the coin and, and it asks them, well, who, who's, who, yeah. who's, whose image is on the coin? Yep. And they answered him, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, and here's here's the point. Jesus says, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's yep. and to God what is God's. Okay. Up, the, the point there is that there is a specific role for the state, mm-hmm. in, in this case represented by Caesar, Caesar yep. there, and there are obligations and responsibilities for that, but they're also to God. They are both important, but they're distinct. Now, up to this point, there had been no separation of church and state. You know, the, the Roman emperors were, were also gods. They, they, they were worshipped, you know, um, even, even the, the, the Jewish system essentially, you know, it, it was mm. all part of mm. their, their, yeah. their life, their lifestyle, right? But Jesus here uh, separates church and state, and that's how it is to be for us as Christians. Religion and politics are to be kept separate. They, they have different roles. Yep. The state is not to dictate worship. 
but neither does our faith mean that we disobey the government. So that's that's the first general point I want to make. Church and state are both important, but they are to be distinct and separate. And I like to, I mean, just just to add on that. I like how Jesus says, I guess not like, but just simply seeing what he said, give to Caesar. So he's he's implying there is a a compliance, a sense in which there is yeah. a, there's a sense in which you have an obligation to uh to render to Caesar what he Caesar's, you know, that, that's his, that's his line in the scriptures. So I love what you're saying, uh, Joseph. I like how you're, you're taking it from the scripture is that, that, that Jesus identified both, both our sides. There's God, there's the church, you know, that's God's, uh, there's God and then there's the, the state, you know, church and state, which is what we're talking about. So that is, I think that's probably the, one of the, one of the, the clearest passages if you will, where Jesus really kind of highlights this this uh, relationship between church and state. I'd, I'd agree, William, because mm. he, he makes it very, very yeah. plain that there are duties that we have, and, and Jesus is teaching us here, right? Mm. He's, he's teaching Christians. He, uh, Jesus is our example in everything, yep. uh, in he, what he did and in what he taught, right? And and he's making the issue, and I think this is what you're kind of bringing out, it, uh, because we are Christians and we follow God, that that doesn't mean that we, um, you know, disregard any other authority mm. as though, you know, we're, we're above the law. And that leads us to the second okay. principle. What's that second the principle? Second, so principle number one was what? Principle number one is that church and state are to be distinct. Principle number two is that as Christians, we have the duty to obey civil authorities. Okay. Romans 13. Romans 13 makes it clear uh, right here from verse 1. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Very clear. Be subject, Mm. it says, to the governing authorities. Then it, and it sort of then it gives a bit of a reason why. It says, Because there's no authority except that which God has established. Um, And, uh, and then, in verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Interesting. Ultimately, God has set up all authority, all, 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 all rulers anyway, um, it's saying. And um, our Christian duty is to, is to submit to those, to those authorities. Um, and then uh, a little bit further on in this passage, it, it's, it's fairly specific. Um, it says it's it's necessary to submit to the authorities in verse 5. This is Romans, Romans 13, Romans 13, verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes, mm. for the authorities are God's servants. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. Um, and so what the Bible makes it clear here, William, that we are to obey the government, the government authorities. Okay. Does that mean, though, that we are to obey the governing authorities in everything? Well, as we're going to see, no, that that's not the case. We are to obey the government up to the point in which it would lead to disobey God. Okay, so there's a line, so to speak. There is a line, and that's our third principle. Okay. The, the third principle is this, that obedience to God comes above ultimately any other authority. In other words, when... Church and state collide. So church and principle number one, church and state are separate. Number two, we are to obey the state. But when the state collides with the church or faith, God, we're really saying here, 
God is to take precedence. Okay. And we get that from Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where it states plainly, we ought to obey God rather than, than man. Okay. Okay. When the laws of the state conflict or come in conflict with God's law or require us to disobey God, then we are to obey God instead of the state. And I think that's probably a good distinction what you're making, Joseph, because it, I think, um, you know, I think part of the tension that we're facing in our churches and is, you know, is where do we draw that line? And it seems to me that the end time scenario of worship is about worship in a sense. Yes. About breaking God's commandments yes. in a sense. Yes. So there's revelation. So I'm just sensing that, you know, for some people listening and they have, you know, they've drawn the line uh, at a particular point where, what we're suggest saying is, you know, the Bible is in a broad sense saying, hey, there is a point, there is a balance, there's a fine line between obeying the, the dictates of the government but also being true to what God is saying to us. And I think that's the, the tightrope we're kind of walking through at this hour of, of, of Earth's history. So um, I'm just glad you made that because um, I think, I, I don't want to jump ahead of myself too too far, but I think it's important to to kind of bring the idea of worship and like being uh, disobeying God. You know, I think when Paul says it somewhere in, um, I think in uh, Timothy or somewhere where he says, children obey your parents in the Lord. Mm. And I think that's a very good distinction is that, you know, we have an obligation that kids, you know, obey your parents. And that, but if there's coming a point when they are blatantly breaking that law, it's like, let's say they're abusing you or doing something that is so grotesque and so inhumane, you know, there's a line in which that submission, in a sense, you know, that's, th- right. that's where the line is drawn. So I'm thinking here, you know, you're bringing out some very uh, great principles of, um, you know, of uh, submitting to the government, but then, hey, there's a line when the government, if they, you know, for instance, tell us that, you know, we have to, you know, violate very clearly what the Bible is saying. Then we have to a duty and obligation to be faithful to God rather than than the than the government That's and the right. state. That's right. We, we, yeah, at that point we we draw a line, as you say, um, take a stand. And uh, William, you know, we're going to look at a case study in a moment, but I wanted to just quickly throw in an example of where where we see where um, we, we we have recorded in Scripture where people they obeyed the authorities. Where they could, but then when it, there was a point in which they actually disobeyed. And the example I'm thinking of is, for example, way back in um, the time of the Israelites when they were in Egypt and yep. the, the Pharaoh had issued an edict that, um, because the Israelites were multiplying and, and it was, yeah, they were becoming numerous in number. We, we find this recorded in the book of Exodus chapter one, the account. And um, they wanted to, to to limit their their growth by um, basically you know infanticide genocide genocide. So th- what what they were to do is they ordered all the Hebrew midwives to kill uh, yeah. the babies, throw them in in the Nile. But the Hebrew midwives, I think the text says, actually feared the Lord. That they they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to commit murder, and so they actually disobeyed the the civil authorities okay. of, of the day mm. because that was going against their uh, belief in the in the law in the law of God. Okay. So what we what we've established, William, is that yes, church and state have their place. They're distinct, but they're separate. We we do have a duty to obey the authorities. But when the authorities conflict with God's law, 
then we, we are to, to, to make a stand. The tricky thing is, William, what do we do when it doesn't seem so clear cut? When, yeah. when it's, when it seems like a matter of conscience, mm. how do we know if we are compromising? What things should we stand up for and which are not important and which things are not important? That's where I want to take us to a, to a case study, uh, today here, here on, on drive time. The case study I want to take us to, William, is that of Daniel, who finds himself uh, in ancient Babylonia. Now, it's, it's recorded in the book of Daniel, yeah. this account, and in particular today, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1, the very first chapter, right, right, at, the, right at the very beginning. And, uh, and I think as well, just to kind of... Um just to kind of uh, promote the the rest of our uh, programs this coming week, I think mm-hmm. each and every presenter, so, you know, you're in the yep. hot seat today, but we're kind of walking through that apocalyptic book, you know, that the book of Daniel, which is powerful story about a man and how he he found that um, so many insights about how he lived his life, how he was, you know, in a sense, um, in a, a particular state government. You know, structure, but then there was a time when he said, you know what? I, I need to be faithful to God. You know, I'm going to put God first. And exactly the principles you're saying, he lived by them, all three of them. Yes. He knew there was a difference. He understood that, hey, I've got to submit to the, the government that he was in. But then then as we, as, as, uh, people who have read the book of Daniel, he, he stood for God when, it, when it really came to the crunch, you know, um, I'm really glad you, you 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 provided a little bit of that setting there, William, because that that's that's exactly why we're looking at Daniel yeah. as a case study. Mm. Uh, if I can read here, Daniel, uh, uh, from the very start, uh, the opening verses that that gives us the the, the setting, um, mm. and then connect a little bit more with what you just said there, William. Daniel chapter one, verse one, the opening words we read here: In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay. And then it says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. That's from the temple, which which then Nebuchadnezzar, it says here, carried into the land of Shinar, that's into Babylon, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house. And um, And then we find here that it says that the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, and he should bring certain of the young men of Israel and of the king's seed, he says, and of the princes, children in, um, in whom was no blemish but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as the ability to stand in the king's palace, than whom they might teach the learning um, the, and the language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Okay, so let's, that, that, let's just pause there for a moment. What we find here... Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the ruling monarch, um, Babylon was the dominant world power at the time. They conquer the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. And, uh, God's people, the Jews, are taken into captivity, taken away into Babylon. And, uh, what we find here is that amongst these, uh, the king orders that they essentially, you know, get the, the, the brightest and the, uh, choose the yeah. brightest and the best, the young, young, young men. Um, it was a smart to. move by the king. Well, he's 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 got a plan. He, he's got a plan, yeah. as we're going to see, and he he's going to have them indoctrinated, instructed. So, uh, the, the reason this is an important case study is we find here 
these uh, young Jews who they were devout followers of Jehovah God. They were they were wanting to follow him. Now they find themselves in here in the midst of Babylon, a pagan environment. There's there's our significant parallel. That's why it's a helpful case study. Uh, you and I and many of our listeners uh, are wanting to follow God, and uh, we find ourselves in the midst of uh, where, how do we live mm. as Christians, um, as good citizens of our country, but what happens when there are things that it seems like they impinge on on our belief of God? How do we react? And that's what we're going to look at, Daniel. Yeah. Hey, hold that thought, uh, Pastor Joseph, because we I'm just going to go to a quick break now. And I love what you're talking. You're just setting us up to kind of um, dive a little bit deeper into the book of Daniel. Um, but before we do that, we just want to go to some music, but I really just want to uh, promote our book offer again. Um, if you're just uh, tuning in now, we're offering a free book offer for today and the rest of our our week here on Drive Time. And the book is called um, Hope for a for Troubled Times, and that book is uh, by Pastor Mark Finley. And so, what this book really is is a book in light of uh, the current pandemic that has swept across the world uh, last year. Um, it's really giving uh, people hope that despite the uh, challenges that COVID has brought into our world, is that Jesus' promise, he says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And when you're, what you'll see in the book is that Pastor Mark Finley will show us that we have the one who is larger than our fears, bigger than our worries, and he's greater than our anxieties by our side. And, and Pastor Mark has practical, down-to-earth uh, real solutions to our problems as revealed in Scripture. So if you'd like a copy, please text SA22, that's SA22, to 0488-880-811, and uh, we'll get a copy uh, into your hands. So don't go away. You're listening to Faith FM uh, Drive Time. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came ruin sinners to reclaim Hallelujah what a Savior Bearing shame and scoffing in my place Yeah. 
Hallelujah by Anthem Lights And welcome back You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, myself, Pastor William Mawala And my co-host, Pastor Joseph Matichich We are looking as our theme for this week The Collision of Church and State Biblical Principles for Navigating a World in Crisis And particularly today, we're asking the question Are there any principles for church-state relationships. And if you just tune in, Pastor Joseph has given us three principles and we're just right into the case study from the book of Daniel. So uh, pick us up from where we left off uh, just before the break, Joseph. Um, yeah, walk us through um, Daniel and you were talking about their um, induction, mm. Jehoiakim, um, God giving Jehoiakim into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. So take us from there. Thank you. Yeah. So Daniel, uh, Jew, young Jew, um, was taken from his homeland by King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, along with a number of other uh, of the Jews over to, to Babylon. And, uh, so he is now in a, in a very pagan culture that Babylon was and uh, away from his environment of being with others who, who were uh, worshiping God. And so that's why it's a very helpful, uh, example to look at look at the life of of Daniel and yep. to look look at his experience here. What we saw um, just before the break is the fact that um, uh, it's it said here in the text in Daniel chapter one that the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Okay. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service, it says at the end Mm. of verse 5. So here's what's interesting, uh, William. These... Young men find themselves now in a new environment under a different regime, and we're wanting, we're asking the question. Remember, we're asking the question: um, Are there any principles for church and state relationships? And in particular, we're we're looking at okay, how do we respond when it doesn't seem to be so so clear cut? Mm-hmm. Well, um, what we're going to notice here is that there are some things that Daniel. Um, went along with and some things he didn't. So how did he distinguish? Well, let, let's notice here. Well, what we've noticed is that Bab- uh, Daniel with his uh, f- uh, colleagues um, were, were required to undergo the training for three years. The right. language and literature of the Babylonians. Okay. Which, which, by the way, they ended up excelling in. We, we write that at the end of the uh, end of this chapter. Now, one, you know, th- these th- this language and literature, th- this training, th- th- they, they were being instructed um, principles and ideas that would have been contrary to the Word of God. For example, one of them was, was astrology. Babylonians were very big in, into astrology. The Bible speaks against uh, uh, consulting yep. uh, consulting astrology. Um, Daniel could have protested against this. Um, he, uh, as being something that's comprom- that he'd be compromising to read such pagan literature, but he saw no issue with it. Okay. Um, it, it's, it looks like here that what we find from Daniel is, is an example. Even though you may not agree with what you're being taught, he was, he was going along with uh, being willing to be trained here, 
um, and, uh, and and to to learn this stuff, yeah. he didn't protest against this. Okay, so for him. He didn't draw the line, I guess, if I use that analogy, and he didn't draw the line going, hey, look, I'm a Jew. I'm not meant to be reading any of this. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he didn't dig his heel in. That's right. That's it right. almost was, I guess it was a, even an act of providence in a sense that they were there. And so what you're saying is um, he was, in a sense, um, he was, you know, basically going through that education, um, even though it may not have been what he had wanted. No. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty mm. good insight because I think I've read Daniel many times and I've, I've never, I've kind of skipped past that. I mean, I get the language and the learning, but not the angle of at what point did scripture say that, well, it's silent on the issue really, but he didn't kind of, we don't see the Bible saying, well, he refused to be educated in the language and literature of the Babylonians. So if that was there, that could have been another stake that people can say, hey, Daniel refused to even read the literature. So guess what? I'm, we're not going to read. You know, it, it kind of reminds yeah. me, Joseph, when I first went, we first went to Avondale and we studied ministry and part of our reading, we had to read things yeah, that, a wide, that weren't, a wide that weren't even Adventists, yeah. even, dare I say, straight pagan. Now, that yeah. I'm not trying to say that they were teaching us, you know, heresy, but yeah. they wanted us to have different perspectives on what other people said on the matter. And right. for some people in first year theology, that was a little bit confronting because yeah. it was like, what What are we doing? And and I think that's a little bit of what's happening here is they were getting yeah. educated and then they had to, well, what you're saying is, hey, look, they, they went through the training. It was not something they asked for, but this is what they were faced with. And they went through it. And what, what it that did, I guess, William, is it helped Daniel yeah. um, with his colleagues have a better understanding of who the Babylonians were so they could understand where the Babylonians were coming from, yeah. right? Um, so that's, that's the first thing we see. That, then we notice the second thing here, William, uh, verse 6. The, the, the text tells us that among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Oh, right. And it tells us here, to Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, the name Abednego. So what's now happening is um, not only were they uh, required to study the language and the literature of the Babylonians, this, this, these pagan <laughs> concepts, now they get their names changed. Right. Now, names names have always been important, especially in the Bible, because names have meanings. Yes. Daniel's name itself, the, the name Daniel, means God is my judge. Yes. Um, now it's changed. His name is changed to Belteshazzar. Uh, and it's not it's not just a, like a nickname. This, this is a completely different name yeah. with a whole different meaning. And the meaning here is it's it's um, related to one of the Babylonian pagan gods. Okay, uh, quite literally, Belteshazzar meant "May the goddess Belit protect the king." Wow. Okay. Now we find here that there's no uh, record of Daniel. And his colleagues that are mentioned here, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whose names also get changed and, and are specified here, they, they don't object to their names being changed. Mm. They could have disputed the fact that this is an intrusive to their uh, conscience and the convictions, but they were sure enough of their identity, I reckon. Yeah. And it didn't worry them what others called them. They knew who and whose they were. Okay. So, that's, so they didn't object. They didn't object. Mm. But then 
Notice this. Then we come to verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Um, in another version it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Aha. Uh-huh. So now we find that here's something where Daniel does draw the line. Here's something that he's not comfortable okay. with. Um, what's required? It required Babylon education. Uh, names were changed. No objection to that. But here he draws the line over food. Mm-hmm. And this might seem a little bit puzzling, a little bit odd. I mean, what's 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 the big deal yep. about you know, eating something? The key there is that he refused to def- he, he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. Okay. Defile. Key, key key thing. So what's going on here? Why did he refuse this? Well, a, a, a number of reasons. Number one. Um, Daniel being a Jew, there was certain foods that God had commanded people to eat yep. and not to eat. Um, it, it, it was clear that amongst the Babylonian diet, there would have been what we would, uh, we're using the biblical yeah. reckoning, unclean, unclean, unclean yes. foods. Unclean foods, and that uh, Daniel considered, he, he, you know, there was a command in scripture that you don't eat this, and so he did not want to defile himself by eating the unclean foods. Uh, furthermore, the the way that God gave even specific instructions, William, on how the food was to be prepared that that He wanted His people to eat. Right. The Babylonian food would not have followed that method of preparation, okay. and it would have been different to the instructions given through the through the through Moses to the people. Okay. And then thirdly, and this is probably the 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 real significant one here, um, the food back then was offered. To idols, oh, to, okay. To, to, so to, that's to why he was, yeah. And then it would be presented to people to eat. So by eating of the king's food, this would have been showing allegiance to the Babylonian gods. Okay. So that for Daniel was like, I'm not going to do this. That's right. So, so you see, suddenly it's it's not. This is not just a matter of him saying, "Oh, this is just a dietary uh, preference. I don't, you know, mm. like the taste of that food or have some allergy, or whatever." No, it's no, more no, than no. that. Yeah, it's more than that. It it was uh, what it what it represented, right? And it was the fact that it was signifying allegiance to to to, to, to pagan oh, gods, right. okay. and that's why he draws a line. Okay. Here. Yes. Okay? Um. And so what, what, what's significant here, William, is we want to see that there are certain things that Daniel went along with, um, even if he may not have been comfortable with, even if they, they themselves were not, um, you know, what, as we would say, biblical, right? But uh, it didn't impinge on his relationship with God, okay. on his worship of God, right? But when he did, he draws the line. Now, uh, if we can be sort of be bold and just for a moment consider... Um, some situations these days, some people think that you know, some of the the mandating today uh, is impinging on um, on on worship. Well, we need to ask the question: Is it, um, or, or or is or is it not? And that's that's a decision that each, ultimately each individual needs to make. See what we find here for Daniel: he draws the line, um, and 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 it's because. It was a, a spiritual thing. So let me, let me, but let me just then bring this out even. Yeah. And this is really helpful for us, William. When church and state collide, how do we, re, how do we react? Notice how Daniel reacted. Notice how Daniel reacts. He, he approached, it says here, he asked the chief official, this is still verse eight, for permission not to defile himself this way. And, um, 
And it tells us that um, the official said, responded to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who assigned you. Why should he see you <laughs> looking worse than the other young men? Yep. Verse 11, then Daniel said to him, uh, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, then compare. And and the official here agrees. Now, they do this test. Incredible. After 10 days, they end up becoming um, 10, 10 times better, it says. So... As we, as we, so it um, worked out well. For it, 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 worked, <laughs> it, it worked out really well. But what I want us to see here is even on the thing that Daniel drew the line, William, he didn't um, carry on and 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 make a real scene. He calmly and co- quietly approaches the official and asks if there can be okay. an alternative. I like it. I like it. That yes. is really, really important. And in a calm, courteous, nice manner. He, he, he sees this. And so what, what's the whole point? Here's what we want to see. That there were some things that Daniel stood up for and others that he did not. He, Daniel, he, he, here's our message. Daniel went along with the authorities as much as possible. Okay. It was only when it conflicted with his relationship to God that he refused to, right. to obey the authorities. So how do we decide when to obey authorities and when not to? Especially when it doesn't seem clear. Well, ultimately, each of us needs to be convinced in our own mind. I cannot yep. tell you what's right or wrong. Yeah, um, it's a matter of personal personal conscience. Um, being ma- vac- mandated at the moment, let's say for the vaccine, is is, is certainly a concerning thing yep. for certain people these days. And um, what that means is a person needs to be uh, needs to decide. And and when we we do decide, we, we decide calmly. Committed and um, and and respond as Daniel did. Well, that is great uh, insight and content from the book of Daniel, and I love how it's that ancient book is still relevant mm. even right now. What we're going through. Hey, Joseph, our, our time's running out. Um, can you just close with a prayer for our listeners, and particularly uh, the situation that we find ourselves in, and um, balancing that that um, tension between you know doing what's right, I guess but also being faithful to God. So um, why don't you walk us through um, a closing thought in a prayer, and then uh, then we can uh, wrap it up. So, yep. You, you got a closing verse there? I can see you got your Bible open oh, there. First Peter chapter 2 tells us basically that um, our living um, conversation and our life amongst the Gentiles should be such that they see our good works and glorify God. First oh. Peter 2.12 is one I want to leave with us. But let's pray together. Father God, I pray for each person that's listening yes. uh, that, that might be uh, just sort of wrestling with this whole idea. How do I uh, obey the authorities, but how do I also stay loyal to God above all things? In particular, when it seems that they intersect or collide, I pray, Lord, that you'll make it clear to each person what to do yes. in that situation. Thank you for the example of Daniel and how he responded yes. in a calm way. May we learn from that when we what to go along with and where to draw the line is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Joseph, for um, sharing with us uh, some insights and principles. I hope you guys enjoyed our program today. Our time is up. Thank you for joining myself, Pastor Wilmawala and Pastor Joseph Maticic here on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when our pastors, our good friends, uh, Gary and Eric, they were going to spend the entire time tomorrow discussing where are we going? Can we be confident of the future? And so um, we pray that you don't miss tomorrow's show. You will absolutely love it. And so as we sign off today, we really look forward to you tuning in tomorrow. But until then, please remember the words of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift 
peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So